This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hi, guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. For those of you that don't know me, I am Judy Cho. I am a nutritional therapy practitioner and I work with my clients to get to root cause healing. And I try to share videos on my channel to help you to find your own root cause healing as well. All right, if you enjoy this video, please make sure to subscribe, hit the bell, like this video. This allows me to provide you more free content. Okay, so today I had the pleasure of sitting down with Bill and Christina. They are both PhDs. In the realm of omega fatty acids, we talk about everything related to omega fats, what is important in terms of optimal health, and what allows and has been shown in studies to reduce、uh, risks of heart disease. We get into specifics. We also talk about does it matter if we are consuming grass fed meats over pasture raised versus conventional? You know, what all matters in terms of our omegas in our blood cell membranes? All right, let's get right into this. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy, and today I am very excited. I have with me Bill and Christina, and we are going to talk about all things omega fatty acids. So, Bill, Christina, thank you for joining me today. If you can just talk a little bit about yourself,、uh, what got you into nutrition, and what got you into omega fatty acids? Well, sure, I guess I should go first since I'm the elder, and、uh, my story is part of Christina's story. So,、uh, yeah, I'm,、uh, I got a PhD in nutrition.、Um, University of Minnesota, 1978. And then I went and did a postdoctoral fellowship、uh, in Portland, Oregon, with a、uh, guy named、uh, Bill Connor, who was very interested in dietary fats and their effects on lipids. And、uh, the first project he assigned me was to test the effects of salmon oil on cholesterol levels in healthy volunteers. And so That was my introduction, and we were giving people, you know, a, a half a cup of salmon oil to drink every day in our metabolic ward. It was crazy. But、um, this was in the early 80s, and I got very interested in omega 3 and the effects that they have on, on heart disease.、Um, and now, lately, other things as well.、Um, I, 
was on the faculty, uh, eventually moved to Kansas City, which is where I, my hometown. Um, uh, moved, I was in Portland for four years, and then I moved to Kansas City, got uh, at the, Ameri- the uh, University of Kansas Medical Center, uh, joined their faculty, and then I was across, across the state line, where University of Missouri Medical Center, on their faculty for 11 years, and then I moved to South Dakota about 14 years ago, and I've been... Uh, partly at the medical school. I'm affiliated with the medical school, but I really have uh, now um, our own business uh, offering omega-3 testing. Um, So that's kind of how I got into it. And I'll let Christina explain her story. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm Christina Jackson. I am Bill's youngest daughter, as it turns out. And um, I got into omega-3s um, kind of not kicking and screaming, but it wasn't my first choice because who wants to just do exactly what their dad does? <laughs> um, but I ended up finding it and it's, it's, it's great. So I went to, um, I did a biology in undergrad, but didn't want to do the pre-med route. So um, I started to apply to grad schools and started to look into nutrition and um, ended up going to Penn state to study nutrition with Penny Chris Etherton and um, really loved it. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, and so I spent five years at Penn State getting my PhD and my registered dietitian credential. Um, and then I did a short stint in Colorado as a postdoc looking at a worksite wellness and more like applied nutrition and realized that was a little bit too expansive and I needed to have a, more of a focus um, and wanted to get back to more of the biochem and the nutritional science part of it. So um, I ended up coming back and Omega Quant, which is the business my dad started out of his growing out of his research, um, was just building and starting to take off. And I was able to um, start working for them. And um, it's, I've been there ever since. I think that's been five or six years ago. Um, and so now I am, I direct our research. I coordinate all of our research with, um, universities and companies. And then I also, um, we write research papers and we work with collaborators. And so it's fun to be in just still somewhat academic, but also small business side of things. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all of this information. So let's just dive right into this. Um, Bill, I heard you on Peter Atia's podcast. It was amazing. Um, so you talked a little bit about that um, there are a larger variety of omegas than um, we, in our bodies than we have in foods. If you guys can talk a little bit about why this may be the case. Yeah, sure. Um, so in foods, there's really only three omega-3s, if we're talking about omega-3, uh, that we eat by and large. The, the largest in amount is alpha-linolenic acid from plants plant oils. You know. uh, most of it we get from soybean oil, but uh, rich, the really rich sources are like uh, flaxseed oil, chia seed oil, things like that. Uh, that's the plant omega-3. Uh, it is really uh, quite sparingly converted to the, what we'll call the marine or fish omega-3s, uh, which are EPA and DHA. And it's really those three that are in our diet primarily. Uh, the body then will take those fatty acids and put them, well, for alpha-linolenic, it mostly burns it. So it oxidizes, it uses it for energy. Uh, a little bit of it gets converted to EPA, DHA, but not much. EPA and DHA are not burned very much. There's, the body stores those in, in membranes 
um, with the intent of uh, using them. It's kind of a storehouse for later use. Um, so the, those are the omega-3. But then there are a lot of different enzymes in the body that will convert the omega-3, EPA, and DHA into a wide variety of other chemical species. Uh, and that may have been what I meant when I said there's more variety in our body than there is in the food. Okay. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned that was interesting was that, you know, if a person were to just consume um, a lot of saturated fats, that their red cell membranes of fatty acids would not just be comprised fully of saturated fats, that the body is actually a little bit, you know, has its own wisdom and will pick and choose what fats to kind of pull from the foods. If you could talk a little bit about how our body does that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the point with Peter was to say that um, people have the idea that your red blood cells or your, or your blood or whatever, whatever you're going to measure fatty acids in is a absolute direct reflection of what you eat. And it's not. Uh, because as you said, the, the body does pick and choose, um, particularly when it's going to make a membrane like a red blood cell in, in the, the bone marrow it is very, very picky about which fatty acids it puts in that membrane because that the red blood cell, if you think about it, it's got to be flexible enough to squeeze through a really tiny capillary, and it actually has to shrink to get through it. Um, so it's the flexibility of that membrane is very important. Um, the, so so the, you really don't control the, the composition of a red blood cell membrane uh, by diet except for the, uh, the fatty acids that the body doesn't make, the, the essential fatty acids. Uh, the more EPA and DHA you eat, they will get into the red cell. And they will, actually, they will substitute for the omega-6s. So it's sort of the total omega level in a red cell, omega-6 or omega-3, is pretty stable. And if you eat more omega-3s, the omega-6s will go down. Okay. And so the net total stays about the same. Okay, that makes sense. So that was the next question I was going to ask. So is that if your body has its own wisdom to kind of figure out which fatty acids to use, then why are we even one tracking, um, you know, our omega fatty acids? And then also, why are we told to consume a lot more fish or omega threes when if our body will do its own thing? So it sounds like you're saying that um, when we do consume more omega threes, it can actually um, balance out the omega sixes. Is that what you're saying? So um, how much omega threes do you need to eat for you know you to see a shift in the blood and things like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll let Christina talk about mm. that when she published a paper on that recently. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we um, the question of how much omega three do I need? We get all the time, um, and it depends. It depends on what your baseline level is, and um, there's a whole lot about the response. Um, in your body that we don't know about. But we do know that the dose of omega-3 that you have um, in your diet and more specifically in supplements, it's much easier to know what's in supplements than the overall diet, um, directly relates to your red blood cell level of omega-3s. Um, so we, we did do this, we wrote this paper um, where we compiled like 14 studies that we had done the red blood cell analysis on and they had had um, they'd given po different populations a known amount of omega-3 through supplements. And we just compiled those all together to see um, what does the, uh, what is it when someone is at a, a baseline omega-3 index of 4%, 
um, how much does it, how much omega-3 does it take to get them to 8%? Um, so that was kind of the question that we were asking and we were able to see what the response was. We had all these different dosages. We had all these different baseline levels and we were basically able to see that to go on average for someone to go from 4% to 8%, they would need about 1400 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day. Um, so that's what the, the, the calculation basically came out to that. If you're at 6% and you need to get to 8%, that number is lower. Um, I believe it's more like 700 a day. So we have this calculation now that we can help guide people and give them an expectation um, of if your baseline is very low, you're likely going to need to take a pretty high dose to get to 8%. Um, if you already have a, a good amount of fish in your diet, you won't need to add as much in supplementation. You want to talk about what the omega-3 index is? Probably should do that. (laughs) So the omega-3 index is uh, the amount of EPA and DHA in a red blood cell, and it's a percent. So it's EPA and DHA over the total fatty acids that make up that cell membrane. And um, in 2004, uh, my dad and Dr. Von Schacke established a a cut point um, for the omega-3 index to be related to heart disease and specifically sudden cardiac death risk. So they found in the literature that people who had an omega-3 index less than four were at a greater risk of having suffering from sudden cardiac death. And people who had an omega-3 index above eight were at much less risk. So four and 8% are kind of um, a low target and a high target for the omega-3 index. Um, And so we've really started to focus on the high end at the eight to 12% range of the omega-3 index to see being in that range, um, it's we've seen over and over again through um, through the last 15 years um, that that number, that target, has been verified in, in large cohort studies that it is protective um, for heart disease. But we're also starting to look at brain health and longevity and eye health and joint health and what does being in the range of eight to twelve percent mean for overall health? Because What's interesting about measuring a red blood cell is that is somewhat reflective of other tissues in the body. So it's a status in their body where you have this, that's the amount of omega-3s you have on board, um, ready to be active in the body. And so it's been, um, we're definitely expanding beyond heart disease now, but we have a very strong base in the, in the heart disease literature. A few questions from just what you said. So um, in terms of these studies, how did you differentiate between uh, the the participants? So was it that um, you that all the diet was kind of stagnant, and then certain people were eating more omega sixes? How did you determine that it was truly just the fatty acids? Yeah, I think the Christina can elaborate, but in the study she was talking about, uh, again we pooled the results of uh, fourteen different studies that were all you know placebo controlled trials. So everybody in the study was getting a pill. Gotcha. Half of them were getting omega-3, half of them were getting a, an inactive pill. And so, uh, and, and in all the studies, people were told, just don't change your diet. Just, gotcha, okay. You know, don't, just leave it alone. So the only thing that really changed was the omega-3 intake in the active group and the placebo group, they didn't change. So that's really how we know. That makes sense. Um, what about... What did what have you seen with um, omega threes from supplements versus 
um, getting it from fish. Is there a difference in bioavailability that, um, in terms of having a faster shift in the blood cells at all? Or I think in general, fish tend to have a greater bioavailability because it's in a food, your body is ready to absorb the fat. Um, it, it is, it, it's a, it's the best way to get it in our opinion, but it's also in fish. We don't know exactly how much is in fish and they, it can vary. The levels can vary in fish based on their diet. Um, and so it's a less, um, consistent intake for a lot of people as compared to supplements. So people who use just fish, to increase their levels, it usually takes longer um, compared to someone who supplements. Um, we also looked at uh, about 3,500 people who we had tested. Uh, we'd also asked them very basic questions about their diet. And we saw that people um, who weren't taking a supplement needed to be eating fish three or more times a week to be able to have a, an omega-3 index close to eight. Um, so it, it's a, it's a, every other day or a daily fish intake if you're going with fish. And that's also consistent with um, cultures that are, that eat fish. Uh, Japan is the one we always look at and their average level omega-3 index level in their population is about nine. And it's just their diet. They eat fish all the time. And so it, it just clearly reflects fish intake. Um, but in the U S we don't have a lot, we don't eat fish, um, throughout our whole lives. So often taking a supplement is a much quicker way, um, to get a higher dose of omega-3 and to know exactly what you're getting. Um, and the omega-3 index in and of itself is a slow biomarker. It's kind of like HbA1c for glucose. So it takes, it's a kind of about four months of your diet is what's incorporated into the cell. So um, it's a slow diet marker anyway. And then if you're using fish, that's also kind of a slower process. So fish is probably more bioavailable on the whole, but supplements are typically a higher dose and easier to know what you're getting and easier to remember to take. Sure. Is, are there fish oils that you recommend? Um, I know that there are some concerns in the community where you know, if you eat polyunsaturated fatty acids, that they're, you know, more, um, there's a higher chance of oxidation that um, even in the like dark green bottles, um, because of heat, you know, whatever the reason may be that they may oxidize um, there. And even if you eat just fish, there's a ton of mercury. So maybe it's just better not to consume um, fish and then maybe just consume like uh, lamb because lamb has omega-3s. Um, what is your experience been with fish oils, um, oxidation, um, and even consuming fish um, in terms of mercury content? Yeah. Um, I'll let you take the fish oil. Okay. And you can talk about mercury. Yeah. Fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. F- f- fish oils get, get a bad rap. Uh, people, they do not, they are not oxidized. I mean, every time uh, a big study is done where they where the researchers just go to the drugstore and pull bottles off mm-hmm. off the wall and take them to the lab and analyze them. They find that there's just minuscule amounts of, of oxidation. The the encapsulated the the uh, gel cap encoding is completely impervious to oxygen, so they can't get any oxygen in there. And they use they so anyway they people just get so wacky about. Uh, you know, a, a whisper of oxidation, like, so what? It doesn't really change anything. But the omega-3 levels aren't aren't different. They don't change in a oxidized fish oil versus not. 
you can't measure a difference. Um, it's just, you know, if, if, if fishy odor can be produced by like three molecules, it's really, really, really sensitive to the nose. Uh, but the actual amount of omega-3 lost is, is nothing. So anyway, I, I, I'm not worried about oxidation of fish oils. Uh, they're, they're a very good source of EPA and DHA, and they're stable over, I mean, I have had bottles seven or eight years around, and we analyze them before and after and still got the same amount of omega-3. Wow. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't, there's plenty of other things in life to worry about, not that. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. (laughs) Yeah, and we don't recommend any specific brands at Omega Quant because we are agnostic about how you raise your levels. Um, so, and we work with a lot of different people um, that are testing out different formulations and, and it's just changing all the time. So what we say is take whatever type of fish oil that floats your boat. If it's um, environmentally, if it's a sustainable um, fish oil, if it's algal, if it's um, high, there's all different kinds, but we do say test yourself, get your omega-3 index tested take your supplement that you like and then retest. That's the best way to know if it's actually working because it's getting in your body. How, um, so, sorry to uh, cut yeah. you off real quick, but how much uh, later would you recommend the testing? I would say three or four months. Okay, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so then the fish question is, it's, it's unfortunate that our, our fish have pollutants in it and it's because we have polluted oceans. It's not the fish's fault. Um, <laughs> so, but most of the fish that are available to us to eat are low in mercury and low below the uh, toxicity levels and our toxicity levels um, are set at a very conservative level. Um, the only one that I would maybe be a little careful about is some of the tunas because those are very commonly eaten and some of those have higher mercury. So those are more like a once a week kind of thing. Um, But salmon is very low in mercury and um, herring and mackerel and sardines. I mean, typically the smaller the fish that you eat, um, the less chance it's had to collect more pollutants. Um, So if you can learn to like sardines and herring and mackerel, um, then that's a really good option. Those are really potent fish. Um, but they're the bad fish are swordfish. The bad fish with regards to mercury are swordfish, tilefish, um, shark. Oh, I haven't thought about this in a while. What's one? King mackerel. King mackerel. Maybe mm-hmm. one of the big eyed tunas. It's, it's like big game fish. Right. I think it's the big game fish because I guess the thought is that they eat a lot of the smaller fish and then it's just the mercury accumulates, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in general, yeah. you're saying you don't have to worry too much about it. Maybe like if you're eating salmon, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry too much about the mercury that the omega threes are much more you know, beneficial and you don't have to worry about the nuances. Right. Right. And right. you know, we, we just published a paper with a consortium um, or I, I was part of a consortium published paper looking at, 
uh, fish intake during pregnancy and cognitive outcomes in the kids. Okay, how's their brain developing? And it, it, was, it was not an omega-3 supplementation studies. These are fish studies, okay? And we found across the board, the more fish that women ate while they were pregnant, the better for the development of the brain. IQ scores were higher on average, like seven points higher. Uh, and even the times when they measured mercury levels in those kids, the higher the mercury level, the better the cognitive outcome because mercury was a marker of fish intake. Oh, wow. The more fish they ate, they had higher mercury levels, but it didn't hurt them. I mean, this, this, people have just gotten so crazy about mercury, and it's, the evidence is just not there to say that mercury is, is that bad for you. Certainly not in comparison to the benefit that comes with the omega-3s. So, you know, if you're any of your listeners, I know I was heretical, and we're going to, we get to talk, talk about omega-6, we can also get heretical, but it, it just is not as big a deal as people want to make it. So I'll throw a wrench in it, and I don't know much of the history, but I do know that Tony Robbins, right, the motivational speaker, he came out that he was eating tuna all the time, and he had mercury toxicity, and then he made it a bigger kind of like um, a scare for people, mm -hmm. be careful of the fish you intake because, hey, he ate fish, and now he has mercury toxicity. Um, obviously, I don't know all the details, yeah, but... I don't did he have high mercury levels? Or did he, have, did he have some actual disease? I mean, if he, if he, he may have tested his mercury levels and they were higher than normal. And so he interpreted that to mean that he's got mercury toxicity. And that might not be the case. But anyway, I don't, you know. Sure. And I, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But what I find wild from the study that you just brought up is that, you know, in, so I've had two pregnancies. Um, and, you know, I, we're told from the beginning, do not eat raw fish, right? Do not eat. And because I'm of Asian descent, I thought about that doesn't make sense to me because in Japan, I'm pretty sure that the pregnant women are not not eating yeah. raw fish for 10 months of their life because now they have these rules. So, and the fact that, you know, we know that um, these omegas and DHA EPA are so good for brain health that we're now adding fortified versions in these formulas, um, it just didn't make sense to me. And if it was the fear of mercury, but then we add mercury to the vaccinations for flu shots that we then require pregnant women, I just didn't understand <laughs> the logic. Um, and so uh, do you recommend that you know, pregnant women um, not necessarily consume raw fish, but you, do you believe that they should, you know, from your studies and all your research, that they should be consuming fish daily? Yes. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, we, we say uh, we have a test we call the prenatal DHA test um, because of this problem, because fish are such a confusing and kind of scary topic during pregnancy. Um, and that most women, when they find out they're pregnant, they stop eating fish, which is not good. There's so yeah. many good nutrients in fish, even besides the omega threes. Um, it's a, just great, great nutrient source. So um, we, we set a target in uh, the red blood cell specific to DHA um, for pregnancy um, of 5% a 
And that level, if you're if you have an omega or a DHA level in your red blood cell above five percent, there is a decreased risk of having preterm birth. So this is a big area of research right now. Um, a lot of women are below five percent, especially if you've never really eaten fish. Um, so that is using that blood blood target level. We think that doctors could talk to their patients, to their pregnant lady patients who are scared to eat fish. They could encourage fish intake, but also encourage supplement intake. If you're too nervous to eat fish um, and you're too worried about like making the wrong choice, taking a supplement is effective. Um, taking an algal DHA supplement is effective. Taking a normal fish oil is effective. Those have all been studied and shown to um, make the gestational period longer. Um, but eating the whole fish is also very, um, it's healthy if you pick, if you just avoid the really, like we just talked about the higher mercury fish. Um, they, they now recommend eight to 12 ounces a week for pregnant women um, for, for fish. And so they've changed the messaging, but it's the public is slow to catch up. Um, so the EPA and FDA have changed the messaging. So it's encouraging women to eat fish two times a week picking high DHA, low mercury fish, which is really not that hard to do. It's the tuna that you want to be a little bit careful with. And it's, but otherwise it's pretty easy to do. Um, but there is still a cultural uh, fear factor about fish and pregnancy. Yes. Um, so let's just say that we had a patient that didn't eat a lot of fish and let's say their numbers were low, below five. And then their child, um, you know, the omegas aren't really there. If they were to then just consume fish once they're like six months and beyond, could they kind of heal all of that? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's a nutrient. So it's the um, first thing in the body, the pregnant woman in the body, the body releases as much DHA as it can, as it's been stored up through your whole life for the fetus and the placenta pulls as much DHA as it can. And there's a lot of um, adaptive things happening to get baby enough DHA for eye and brain development and all other things. Um, and throughout pregnancy, that is a, a time of intense growth. And there are things that happen during pregnancy that can't be um, fixed, but the sooner you start, the better as far as omega-3 supplementation or eating fish goes. And if you start eating fish, if the mom starts eating fish or that's six months and is breastfeeding, then her breast milk levels of DHA and EPA will go up and that will help with the brain development because it's, it's that first thousand days. Um, so up to age two, really getting EPA and DHA in mom's diet and in baby's diet is really good and important. Um, and mom will deplete herself. Like mom's blood levels will drop if she's not sufficient um, after birth. And, um, but there will be a surge into breast milk and the body will start to heal itself and have, have the levels go up as she re replenishes her body. And also your body just uh, starts to heal again. So getting omega threes in the sooner, the better, whether or not it's fixing anything or, or, um, I don't know if we can go that far, it, but it, it does, it does have real effects on the gestational length. And um, if you're getting DHA and EPA into your body and baby's body in the first thousand days, it is helpful for proper brain and eye development 
Um, but it's a really hard thing to study. I think that's just across the board. It's very hard to study kid cognition, kid vision, and to say like, this is definitively affecting um, cognition scores. It's, it's a hard thing to study, but we know it does, it does help. Okay, so let's um, shift the conversation a little bit to PUFAs. Um, there have been some conversations that, you know, as we are eating let's say we eat a meat-based diet or a meat-heavy diet and we are consuming more foods that are um, high in chicken or pork, which tend to have a little bit more polyunsaturated fatty acids than, uh, let's say, beef. Um, the concern is that then the balance in the blood and the um, cell membranes will be you know, more favorable to PUFAs. If you, if you could talk about this, um, does it matter that we are you know, consuming a lot of chicken and pork in terms of our blood cells? I think the, the fundamental question is, are the omega-6 fatty acids bad for you? If they're not, if they actually turn out to be good for you, then those questions you just asked kind of become moot. Um, so let me tackle a little bit of that. And Christina, who's the dietitian, can maybe talk a little bit more about the practical stuff. But the idea that omega-6 fatty acids as a class are bad for you, are pro-inflammatory, is just uh, kind of painfully naive. It, it's so simplistic. Uh, and people like to have a, a bad guy and a good guy, a black hat and a white hat, and just live your life. It's just, you know, they're all wrong, they're all good. Uh, it's just not that simple. Uh, and some of the evidence for that, there's a lot of evidence that actually the omega-6s are higher intakes are, are good for you. Um, a, a couple of studies uh, have come out recently looking at blood levels of omega-3, oh, excuse me, omega-6 fatty acids. Primarily linoleic acid, which is the, the one in food. The linoleic is the essential fatty acid that's in vegetable oils, etc. cetera. Um, and so uh, we measured omega, uh, linoleic acid in the blood in thousands of people. And then they were followed over up to 15, 20 years for developing heart, heart disease or diabetes, okay? And so the hypothesis was, or the question was, is there a relationship between the blood level of omega-6 and the risk for developing heart disease or diabetes? And in both cases, two separate publications, we found that higher levels of linoleic acid in the blood are associated with lower risk of heart, heart attacks and becoming diabetic, and no relationship at all with weight gain. They're, they're not related to gaining weight. So the omega-6s, and that's just a snippet, but it's a, a big experience of, of worldwide studies that says, you know, far from being bad for you, Omega-6s are really good for you. So don't try to eliminate them from your diet. I mean, at least don't try and do that. You know, whether you increase it, it's another question. But don't go out of your way to remove omega-6 from your diet. Um, so that, that's, I think, is the fundamental mind shift that people need to get. They need to stop being afraid of omega-6 fatty acids and start embracing them as being good. So <laughs> there is, this is controversial. There's no question. Yes, I understand I was, that. <laughs> so let me throw, you know, I'll just put in kind of static. Yeah, yeah. So why is it then that we are so focused on, you know, the ancestral diet was, you know, four to one omega three to omega sixes. And the reason now that we have all this, 
you know, modern disease, inflammatory diseases, metabolic diseases, all because we're consuming way too many omega-6 from vegetable oils that are causing our omega-6 ratios to be at like thousands versus one, right? So (laughs) why, why, why answer those questions? Okay. Number one, ancestral (laughs) diet. Who really knows what we ate as ancestors? First of all, 10,000 years ago, who really knows? So somebody's making some guesses. Number two, the ALA, what what they're talking about, omega-6, omega-3, this is part of the problem with that ratio is it's so nonspecific because the, Omega-6 can be linoleic or it could be arachidonic. It doesn't say. It just says omega-6 and assumes they're equal. And the omega-3 could be the plant omega-3 or it could be the marine omega-3s, but you don't know because it just says omega-3. And to imply that all omega-3s have the same actions and all omega-6s have the same actions is just not true. So making a ratio, I mean, I I love one quote. saw in a paper about this guy said what's what's the deal with omega-6 omega-3 ratios it's good versus good why are we doing a ratio of this you know (laughs) and so the the part of the problem is is that number one uh, number two is the whole presumption that our ancestors were so much healthier than we are and they died at age 35 right i mean this this is you know the ancestral diet People were not living long enough to get heart disease or cancer. And they're, they're dying of infections. They're dying of snake bites, of animal bites. They're, they do not develop those diseases. They didn't live long enough. So now we live longer. And is that a bad thing? That we're living longer? No, it's not a bad thing. So that kind of logic just doesn't make sense. I mean, we seem to fall in love with this idea of the noble warrior, the noble um, savage, you know, and they're so healthy and, well, they aren't that healthy. And we don't, another thing, let me go on to the ratio, you know, four to one. Okay. One to one. You can have, you know, eat one milligram of omega-6 and one milligram of omega-3, which is completely insufficient. And your ratio is one to one. You got a good ratio, right? Because they're one to one. Or you can eat, you know, 20 grams of one and 20 grams of the other. One to one, you got the same ratio. The ratios don't make any sense when we're talking about these fatty acids. You need to talk about what's the actual amount you're eating. Because a ratio can be, you can eat huge amounts or almost none have the same ratio. Right, and I, I agree with that. I remember doing some kind of the side research where I looked into ratios and some of the vegetable oils, the ratios weren't that bad because they had omega threes and whatever form it was. But the, um, but if you actually looked at the numbers, the omega six was in the 10,000 ranges um, versus if you were to maybe eat pork or I forgot which exact, um, what, which exact food it was, but a whole food, the omega six is the omega six degree ratio that that food had a much higher ratio. So it almost looked like you should consume like, I don't know if it was canola oil. I forgot which vegetable oil it was, but if you look at the actual number, the numbers, um, that's where you start seeing the differences. Right. So I, I agree with you. I don't, I think the ratios aren't, they don't tell the whole story. And like you were saying, it also doesn't tell the differences how does our body absorb it? What kind of omega-3s are they, right? So they're all different. Um, so it makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'll you know about follow up. Food levels, um, yeah. yeah, food levels. And then the other kind of contextual issue is that um, often when we look at populations and studies and we see all this disease in, in people who have a very high omega-6 diet, it's very infrequent that they have both a high omega-3 and a high omega-6 diet. So they have a high omega-6, but also a low omega-3. And so which one of it is it? And, and we see a lot of evidence that increasing omega-3 solves a lot of the issues, not necessarily like weight gain and um, insulin resistance, any of that. But um, when you take omega-3, when you increase your omega-3 index, it automatically decreases your arachidonic levels. They replace each other in the membrane. So you kind of fix both just by looking at dealing with one side of it. And we know that increasing omega-3 intake is beneficial for health. We don't necessarily know that specifically reducing omega-6 intake alone is good for health. Um, and so if we focus on one side of it, it kind of fixes both of the issues, at least at the cellular level. Um, with regards to pork, beef, chicken, and omega-6s, I looked up some... Some numbers on the USDA nutrient database, um, and I did chicken breast, pork tenderloin, and beef tenderloin, just looked up their fatty acid profiles, um, and in a serving of about three and a half ounces, 100 grams, I mean, chicken breast, pork tenderloin, and beef tenderloin are very low in fat. It's got three grams in a chicken breast, four in pork tenderloin, and six in beef, so it's Total pretty fat. low. Total fat. Total fat. Okay. Um, in the chicken, you get 0.6 grams of linoleic acid. In the pork, you get 0.6 grams of linoleic acid. In the beef, you get 0.3 grams of linoleic acid. It's not a lot. But then I also looked at pork sausage. And pork sausage has 26 grams of fat. So we're going from pork tenderloin has four, pork sausage has 26. It has four grams of linoleic acid. It has more fat, it has more omega-6. But what does a processed food also have more of? Sugar, salt, preservatives, and other, I mean, so if you, if you look at that and, you're, and you eat a ton of sausage instead of eating the, the natural cuts of meat, you're getting more omega-6, but you're also getting a lot more processed, uh, you're getting all the other things that come along with processed foods and you're going in and picking out, there's more omega-6 and that's what's wrong with this food. Sure. So, so you know what I'm saying? Right, right. And no, I, I completely understand. But what if we were to say, so there are studies out there that say if you consume like uh, pasteurized eggs versus um, conventional eggs, for, and also if you consume um, grass-fed beef versus conventional beef, there are studies that the organic versions have a little bit more omega-3s and therefore mm -hmm. the omega-3s. Yep. Is that... Yeah. I mean, do you do you think that well, you, you, you said you said it right? A little bit. Right. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You may, the level of the omega threes, say in a grass fed versus a, a grain fed pork or, or beef, might go it might double, it might be twice as high. So instead of two milligrams a serving, you might have four milligrams a serving. You know, if you express it as a percent increase, it's like wow. If right. you look at the actual amount that you get in a serving, it's going from nothing to a little bit more than nothing. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's just a matter of perspective. Uh, no. don't, uh, you don't eat grass-fed animals to get your omega-3s. And you I agree. eat fish 
Yeah. Okay. It's um, the, it's the EPA and DHA level in uh, cow or pig um, foods is not going to move your omega-3 index. So if you're eating the, the um, picking grass fed and hoping to see an increase in your omega-3 index, your omega-3 blood levels, you won't see that. It will not show up. It's not potent enough. Fish, you get a, a, a thousand milligrams in a serving um, if it's salmon or one of the more um, potent fishes. So that's just so you can eat that. It's a great product. It's a great thing to eat, but it's not the omega-3s that you kind of think you're getting potentially. Sure. Um, and some eggs, though, they do feed fish meal specifically to increase the EPA and DHA. And that does incorporate, and you can get it from eggs. Okay. So what I'm going, I'm, I'm just going to throw a wrench in. So from what I'm hearing from both of you is that if you, it may not be the omega-6, but as long as you increase the omega-3, that's the beneficial kind of whole part of the equation. So, but with that said, if I were to just douse all my food in vegetable inflammatory seed oils, right? So peanut oil, canola oil, soybean oil, and that's, and let's say I'm not consuming it in the process like mayo. So any additives, but literally just the oil, but then I'm like, okay, I'll just take a ton of fish oil. Would that make me healthier? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) probably have a lot of diarrhea, (laughs) that much fat, pure fat. Uh, 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 it, it, yeah. You know, yeah, it probably, <laughs> it, it, again, again, there's pretty good evidence that higher omega-6 levels in your blood, and the only way to get omega-6 in your blood is to eat them. I mean, we can't, they're essential. We can't make them. So that's better for you. Higher omega-3 is better. So that's not a bad way to go. You know, if you want to take teaspoons and tablespoons of, of corn oil and fish oil, go for it. You know, it's, it's, it's probably good for you. Just don't worry about ratios. Wow. So when people say that vegetable oils are oxidized and they're the ones that are causing inflammation in the body and the inflammation is what, you know, leads to a lot of the metabolic disease, insulin resistance, your take is that's not true. (laughs) It's not true. It's not true. It's yeah. The, the biologically, Arachidonic acid and EPA are kind of cousin fatty acids, and the arachidonic acid makes um, is metabolized into really potent inflammatory um, actors. But then the EPA is also metabolized into the resolving um, the resolving mediators, and you need both sides of this to respond to any inflammatory to any um, event that where inflammatory inflammation is needed to to fix the problem. If you have a cut, if you are sick, you need that inflammation. This is essential, but you also need it to be resolved. And what happens is most people have enough potent omega-6, have enough to have that inflammatory response that's, a, that's appropriate. They don't have the omega-3 side that resolves the, the response, that calms down the body, that, um, that lets the body heal from that inflammatory response. So there is this biological pairing of the two that, that we get in our heads, and it's really fascinating. But the, the part that's missing is the, for a lot of us, is the omega-3 side, is we're pretty deficient in the omega-3 side, so we don't get the full healing. And it's not that the omega-6 side is that out of whack, we, we think, 
it's more that we don't have the other side, the healing side of that, of that process. And that's, that is kind of simplified and that builds into the, the narrative of omega sixes are bad and omega threes are good, but it, so it's born out of the, the biology there, but it go it gets a little bit too sim- simplified, I think. Well, right. And, and part of that is there are anti-inflammatory molecules made out of omega-6 fatty acids. Mm-hmm. There are pro-inflammatory molecules and there are anti-inflammatory molecules made out of the same class. So it's to, to call the whole class omega-6s pro-inflammatory just isn't true. Right. So more complicated than we think it is. <laughs> right. But what I do know as a fact is that you know pre 1900s heart disease wasn't very common, and so a lot of the literature is saying that it's the inflammation. You know, maybe mm-hmm. too too many carbohydrates. I mean, what is it then that is causing? And I know you're saying some of it is that we don't have, we're deficient in omega threes, but what is causing so much inflammation? And then also, what is then causing all this heart disease? Um, well, so I mean, what's, what's interesting is if people look at the rates of heart disease today. They've gone down since the uh, '60s by f- at least fifty percent. I mean, they're way down from what they used to be. Okay. Is it so? This you know, people you know, blowing these alarm whistles. You know, heart disease is getting out of whack. Well, look at the data. It's not. People are there's less and less and less heart disease. In fact, more people are dying of cancer than dying of heart disease these days. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's a lot of the heart disease death is in you know 80s and 90s, which is kind of hard. What you really care about is premature death heart disease and that's way down um and is it because we have statins now well who knows is it because we're not smoking as much that's probably a helper um but the inflammation side i mean to me you want to get into the overweight uh it, the adiposity causing inflammation i mean we're not we're eating too much and we're sitting around too much it's just about that simple we need to eat less and more and move more. And it's not any one nutrient that's causing all of this problem. It's just us getting sitting what we're doing right now, sitting looking at a screen. And you know, and then the food we eat, well, Christina could talk about that, but we and you know about it too, Judy. I mean, yeah, a lot of the food we eat is crap, and it's not because of the omega 6, because of the, the sugar. The uh, all the other stuff, primary to the sugar, um, that's that's really a problem. Yeah. Simple carbs and all that. Yeah, the the yeah the processing of foods, eating whole foods, really is I I think the way to go. Um, and you just said it. It's just there. It's a huge problem. It's all different. There's there's so many facets to it, and the fat side of it um, is a little piece of it, and um, as far as just like inflammation is such a global, um, effect in your body. There's so many things that can cause it. I mean, stress, um, looking at the, um, your hormonal status gut health pollution. It just, there's so many things that play into, um, why the body is, is stressed, even, even not having parasites anymore like medical advances that we see as good parasites can also um, 
activate one part of our inflammatory process or our immune system that we don't use as much anymore. And they think potentially that that is causing more autoimmune diseases because our immune system doesn't have as much to do. So like, there's so much we've changed in our society through our medicine and through our advances. So sure. you can't just farm, pick, right? <laughs> right. Kids the, that are raised on farms have less allergies and, 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 and better immune response because they're exposed to all this dirt and crap when they're growing up, you know? So now we're so clean <laughs> and, and, we blame, and we blame it on omega sixes, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> It's just a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I mean, I, I do believe that. It, I, I think the reason why you know the kids that grow up in farms they're exposed to so much dirt and good gut bugs, right? They're not exposed to as many even environmental toxins. I had a, um, I had a peer, a classmate um, in my nutritional studies, and she literally her gut health was destroyed and so she had this mm. like grandma tell her go run around um in like cow feces like manure and she, that was the only way she healed and it's crazy wow. for years of wasting away and so oh. it's, it's pretty powerful so i, I yeah um, it's like fecal transplants yes yeah fecal transplants <laughs> it's wild yes uh and i'm just but uh, you know what i guess what's you know what i'd ask you guys then is in your world of things, what would you consider to be, a, you know, an optimal diet for humans? Uh, what's it called? Pesca Mediterranean, something like that. Okay. Okay. So high fish though. High fish. Yeah. And a lot of fresh vegetables and other meats. Now, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not anti keto diet particularly. I've, I've never really studied them. Uh, I mean, I know, I know that a keto diet really opens the door for a lot of meat and oils, and I like to see more fish and omega-3s be eaten, so it seems like it's harmonious, but probably, I think if you asked, that'd be my guess, would be fish laid on top of a Mediterranean diet. Yeah, I think there's so many, the diet can vary so greatly by your person, by your climate and by your culture and the body has adjusted to that in so many different ways. So I don't think there's one best diet for everybody. Sure. Yeah. What do you think, Judy? I mean, <laughs> you do this all the time. What's your answer yeah. to that? Um, I do think that if your body can tolerate certain vegetables that have less anti-nutrients, then, um, I think that's, you know, beneficial. I do think fish is very important. And, oh, and this is a question that I forgot to ask you, but, and the reason is because a lot of my clients, they are, they eat a very meat-based diet. So they eat primarily meat. Some of them go and just, they just go for the natural pasture-raised, grass-fed, et cetera. And they eat a lot of the organ meats, which have more nutrients, right? Or they'll eat some of the um, salmon roe or fish roe. So they're eating a very, very nutrient-dense diet. But then their results show that they're fatty acid deficient, or they're even deficient in a lot of B vitamins. Um, and so I was going to ask you actually that, um, like, what causes people to be fatty acid deficient in their in these functional tests? Yeah, I mean, if if you measured, you know, blood levels of linoleic acid, I mean, that's how you could find out if you're deficient because that's that is the best that's an essential fatty acid and and. and deficiency has to be for related to a fatty acid that you can't make on your own 
Well, let me ask you another way. So what are signs and symptoms of fatty acid deficiency? Scaly skin. Scaly um, skin, okay. Yeah. Um, that's the classic. That's the classic. Um, when you say scaly else? skin, do you mean like dry skin or because I know that if you are fatty acid deficient, I've heard that the, um, the body will pull the fats from the skin in order to sort of make hormones and, you know, other items that may be of more priority. But um, what do you mean by scaly skin? Do you mean dry skin? Yeah, I'm not sure what I mean I, um, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's so, as far as I know, it's so rare. Okay. Be a, I mean, it's, it, it's almost, nobody sees it unless you're on total parental nutrition. Okay. You're getting all your food by vein. Yes. You can't eat. And they give you a, uh, a, a emulsion in, by vein that doesn't have any little lake acid in it. And, the, and those patients got scaly skin. They put fit, fit, vitamin, they put the vegetable oil in the emulsion and it went away. And they said, oh. That's essential fatty acid deficiency because they didn't give them any essential fatty acids. So that's the classic. Um, the two things I notice and that have um, somewhat of a more noticeable effect on when you have a low omega-3 level and you get it higher um, are dry eye and joint pain. Those are two things that people will say, that they notice because a lot of the stuff going on with the omega threes and the heart disease specifically can't feel. Um, but those are two areas where, especially if you take a pretty high dose, um, people notice that they, their knees feel better and there's research to back some of this up. Um, and, and the eye, the dry eye is also, um, something that people have, have studies have been able to show that omega threes are helpful with. Well, so I was talking about essential fatty about, acid deficiency, classical. Right. You're talking about omega-3 yeah. deficiency in a way. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, um, you know, this has been really helpful as we're closing. I mean, what I'm hearing from you, I was going to ask, you know, what, what would be your advice for the people viewing this? Um, you know, it could be from in terms of nutrition, in terms of omega levels, like what would be sort of kind of like your tip? Testing your blood levels is really important. If you, uh, you don't really know what you're getting until you can see what's getting into your blood. And so um, testing, making sure you're getting, if you're paying for a supplement, make sure you're getting what you're paying for. Um, and getting into the eight to 12 zone for the omega-3 index is, uh, is really, has been shown to be very good for overall health. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's important too. I, I obviously would hope people are, are not as worried about consuming omega-6 fatty acids. I mean, the, the problem in America is not omega-6, it's the lack of omega-3. And if we could just get the omega-3s up, your, yeah, your ratio will get better. Mm -hmm. You like ratios. <laughs> if you want to fix the omega-6, omega-3 ratio, and eat more EPA and DHA, and that will do it. Um, and if that's, if you want to focus on that ratio, that's fine. But that's that's the response to a bad ratio, is to eat more EPA and DHA, not eat not, less omega six. Okay, I just wanted to confirm that. Okay. Yeah, not no no that that's not going to help. You know, I mean that's the problem with ratio thinking is I can fix the denominator or the numer numerator, right? And I'll fix the ratio, um, but there's the, the, the right way to fix that ratio is to increase the EPA DHA intake. 
Okay, and where uh, where can people find you and your services? Uh, yeah, our company is called Omega Quant. Omega Q U A N T Quant, like quantify. Uh, dot com. Um, we offer uh, home we drive blood spot testing, so people can you know just order a test online. They don't need a doctor, and it'll uh, kit will show up. They'll do a finger prick. We collect a drop of blood, send it to us, and we'll send them a report, some mm -hmm. advice. And we have tests for the omega-3 index, which is the one we primarily uh, focus on. But as Christina mentioned, we also have a specific one for breast milk. Mm -hmm. a, a drop of milk on a card will work, too. And then we have one for uh, prenatal, specifically, that for women in the, what would you say, uh, mid-pregnancy mid, uh, mid to test. Uh, their DHA levels is, is, is a good idea. Um, so omegaquant.com. Mm -hmm. And we have, we're on Twitter and Facebook at omegaquant. Okay, and I'll list all the information in your show notes as well. Um, do you recommend kids getting tested as well? Yeah, if the parents are, if the parents are interested, um, there's no reason a kid can't be tested. Kids typically are lower, at least in Western countries. Um, than the average adult. Um, but if you're wanting to increase their levels, then you'll be able to see it in their blood. Do you still recommend the same ranges as adults for kids as well? Um, that's what our kind of one of our next big projects is to see if that's the right range. But I think looking at it as more of a status of you started out here and then you got here, then you know that your supplementation or your fish intake is working. But getting to 8% for a kid, um, it's totally doable. I believe it's safe. Um, but being at seven and 6% is also pretty good for a kid. So, compared, <laughs> so to, it's compared to being at three, compared to be at two or three, they, they tend to start off really, really low. So, wow. okay. That's good to know. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been really helpful. Um, you know, I, I think people will find this to be very beneficial to, you know, not look at every single food and freak out about the ratios, but really just, incorporate some fish. If you can't eat fish, then at least find a quality fish oil. Test yourself to even know if it's all of this is even benefiting you. But otherwise, just eat a clean diet, move, and don't sweat the small stuff like whether you should be eating grass-fed. Yeah, I think people should test themselves with that amount they would have spent on grass-fed um, <laughs> pork, right? Or pasture-raised pork, so. Right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for your time again. Thank okay, you, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. It was so beneficial to talk with them and understand the importance of omega-3s and eating fish or at least supplementing if you can't eat some fish. You know, I think the core message that we should take away from this video is that let's keep it simple and not worry about, you know, what types of meats we're eating. I do think that it's better not to eat processed oils. Maybe the omega-6s in these oils aren't that bad, but the processing of these oils of the seed oils and vegetable oils with the bleaching and oxidation. And one of those graphics will be in my carnivore cure book, but you know, it just shows that let's stick to real fats. We don't, we just don't know exactly how the body functions. Just focus on real wholesome meats, whether it's grass fed, whether it's conventional, don't worry about those little nuances. I think if you just focus on removing a lot of processed foods, the body will take care of the rest. All right, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.